Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by McDermott Financial Solutions. McDermott Financial helps business owners with profitability coaching, finding financing, and providing business financial physicals on their businesses. We have three great guests on the show today. I want to welcome each of them individually now. Uh, Kelly Taylor with Chrome Yellow Trading Company. Welcome to Profit Sense. So glad Thank to you. have you. Glad to be yeah. here. Tim Ramsey. Uh, Tim is the managing partner with Bodker, Ramsey, Andrews, Winograd, and Wildstein. Tim, so glad you're here. Good morning, Bill. Glad to be here. And Martha Shuan. Martha and her husband own Shuan Kitchens and Baths. They're a remodeling firm. Uh, Martha, so glad you're here on Profit Sense today. Thank you. I'm glad to join you as well. So Kelly, I'd like to to start with you. You and your husband, uh, we originally met, I believe, through uh, Samantha McElhaney, uh, mm-hmm. a banker who we uh, both know. And uh, you and I and Kyle, your husband, have uh, uh, have started working together. I love mm-hmm. what you're doing. Uh, I would like you to give our listeners an overview of who Chrome Yellow is and what you do. Yeah. Um, Chrome Yellow, we started almost five years ago. Um, we now are a specialty coffee shop company in the Old Fourth Ward neighborhood of Atlanta. Um, and we um, have a standalone building there. Um, it is primarily cafe space. Um, we work with a lot of amazing guest roasters. We have our own beans that we offer. And um, we also have a small retail selection. And um, we are always trying to use the coffee and the space to um, inspire and connect with our community. So that's a, um, that is just a, a big part of kind of why we started is about trying to inspire and connect, inspire and connect. Um, so we mostly do that with coffee and our amazing staff and um, our space. People love to come be in the space and work there and have meetings. And so we use all of those things um, as our, you know, as, as making our vision to happen. Yeah, and I'm by no means a coffee aficionado, but I will tell you, your coffee is awesome. Uh, well, thank I really you. enjoyed it when uh, when I was at your uh, at your office. So going back to the very beginning, I'm I'm really interested in understanding what was the inspiration behind Chrome Yellow and and starting it uh, with your husband. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I just um, had our, I believe it was like our 13 year anniversary. So we've been together a long time um, now. And we both come from a primarily restaurant hospitality background. When we met, we both all, always had a vision of, of starting a restaurant or, or some kind of a business like that. We like to create and to change spaces and to um, have kind of a gathering place for people. So um, we just come out of, you know, several long years of some, <clears throat> some years at a certain restaurant with the Atkins Park group and some other places that we'd both been with. And when we first started Chrome, we actually started a little more in the retail realm of uh, high end clothing, because I had a little bit of background in that. Uh-huh. And we were using the focus that we would do monthly events. And those monthly events is where again, we came back to like, you know, we, we need the higher, we, the higher pace of the restaurant world. We need to be able to connect with people more often than just these monthly events. Retail can be a lot slower. And we had tried it for a while, you know, as a break and, and, um, but we just came back again to those restaurant roots. And so when we, we did some short-term pop-ups and we did a lot of events, the events is where a lot of the magic happens for us. So, um, so when we found the space where we're at now on Edgewood, 
it just all clicked. It was like, this is the spot we can, we can join all of these forces together and have the space and have the vision and the community. We just hit it. It just all kind of happened at the right time. Uh-huh. The commute, that neighborhood needed coffee, needed a place for people to go and to work and to be together. And we were able to provide that at the time. And, and um, so uh, that, yeah, I think hopefully I'm not just talking in circles there, but no, not at all. Again, it's just those um, those moments where we can get people together and get the right music and the right lighting and the and the staff is is sweet and kind and 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 listens to our customers. I mean, we just have the most amazing customer base, and I have to give all of our staff the credit for that. You know, they'll they'll see a customer pull up and have their drink ready when they walk in. They memorize the orders. They just so it's just it feels like you know you're you know, our customers are, are friends, you know, it's like family and friends now. And that's, that's such an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And the energy that you get from uh, your employees dealing with those customers, the relationships that have been built. And uh, uh, that's a, that's a special experience. I do mm-hmm. want to talk about uh, some of the first years uh, starting out, you had mentioned the pop-ups uh, can you tell me more about some of the short-term leases you did in the beginning while determining your permanent home and how the business has changed over the years? Yeah, I would love to. I, I you know, I find this a really exciting thing um, that really helped us to to figure out who we were and and where we wanted to be. Um, commercial leases can be so intimidating, you know, when you're dealing with large, you know, bigger landlords of, right. of having to sign three to five year leases. It's just so intimidating, especially with everything that's happening right now is, you know, with the COVID and, and that, you know, with COVID and things could be that could come back at some point. There's like just so much concern and risk. And there already was that already existed. You know, that risk already existed for small businesses. Um, we were fortunate to make a connection with Cartel Properties, George Rorig, um, and he had a space in Buckhead um, near the old Roxy block. And um, we were able to negotiate a, a very short term three month lease to go into the space. And I remember we were working with a great commercial agent, um, my um, a very good friend of ours, Barry Lebowitz with Camden Commercial. And he was, he was just like, what do you have to lose? You know, it's three months. You, you know, worst case you lose out on the inventory, but you learn like, do you want to be in this business or do you not? Is this location right? Or is it not? And I just always recommend that. And there's so many landlords now are very familiar with like pop-up and short-term leases now that at that time it, it wasn't, it wasn't as, um, as heard of, you know, um, or as common, but it was huge. I mean, we quickly realized that was not our market. That's not where we wanted to be. Then we went and teamed up with Jamestown in the um, West Midtown area. And we had, a, we had many, several, several years of successful pop-ups there. We did uh-huh. some longer term ones and did sort of a, um, it was like um, rent, rent was based on like a percentage of sales. Anyway, it was just, it was so, it was great because um, the risk was minimal and we were learning so much as we continued to do those. And, and then we did this uh, very short term pop up. We did like a weekend. It was like three days in the old fourth ward, very close to where uh-huh. we're at now. And the turnout was amazing within th- with just three days. We were like, Oh my gosh, this is our home people. Wow. This is where we're supposed to be. It was, yeah. it, it was amazing. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I always recommend that to, you know, especially for people who are trying to start like a retail type business, because that's what we were doing more of at that time. It was definitely more uh, high end clothing and, you know, designed goods and um, um, working with smaller makers. And um, but it was very it was heavy retail and um, it, you know, removing even just a little bit of risk and fear from the situation just helped us to take that leap. And that was just sure. huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of competition in the coffee business. Um, I know what differentiates you in part is your coffee because your coffee is excellent. Uh, but really, what uh, what do you feel differentiates Chrome Yellow from your competitors? Yeah, that's a <clears throat> I feel like that's a hard question. We have so many. There's so many amazing um, coffee shops in Atlanta now, um, and uh, we're great friends with many of them. I think for us. We, um, you know, we're not, 
always great at putting into words on like our Instagram and stuff, all of our thoughts and emotions all the time, but we try and show through action. Um, we try and we've, Kyle and I are so um, adamant about friendly service, you know, and, and consistent service, like service is a huge deal for us. Um, like we, we hope we want people to get their coffee fast, but also with a smile on their face, you know, we don't want anyone to, to, we don't want a customer to come in and be scolded if they ask for cool whip or something, you know, it's like, or whatever, we may not have it, but we're going to tell you in a nice way. Like, right. I think that's a very important thing because the coffee business can sometimes get, um, you know, people can get so particular, um, about what they think is the right way to serve a coffee drink. And, and, um, you know, we, I, I just think that there's a way to do it. Uh, there's a way to offer an amazing product with, a with, a you know, by being kind. And, um, so our staff, we just have the most amazing staff. So I think, um, the consistency, um, and kindness of our staff is a huge one. And then now, and then my husband, I have to give so much credit to him. I mean, I wish he could be on this with me. His vision is so strong and so specific. And so, um, he just like, everything has to be tuned in perfect. So he always is always trying to get the most like, um, beautiful, you know, he wants a beautiful space with the exact, you know, kind of, you know, consistent lighting and the right lighting. You can't, you know, there, it's gotta be the right lighting or, you, you know, your brain waves get frazzled. I don't know if, you sure. know, so he's very particular. He's very in tune with that. The, the music, you know, we, the music is always a pretty similar chill kind of vibe. So you know what to expect. And that's a huge thing. I think consistency again with product um, and quality and the environment is so huge. Um, you just, you know, you can go and work there. You know, you can have a meeting. that's not going to be blasting heavy metal. It's not going to have the lights too high or anything. And so I think, um, I think those are really important things. And then the way that he is always trying to um, tune in with what's going on in the neighbor, in the community and the neighbors, you know, with the neighbors around us, um, how to connect, how to give back. and um, I think those are all, all really important things, how we get that message across. Again, it's, it's probably, it, you know, with less words, more action, we want to show you that we care and here's how we're going to show you. Um, and then uh, he also designs just amazing products, um, uh, t-shirts and the hats. And then we, again, try and connect with like the Giving Kitchen, which is a charity nearby that helps to give back to hospitality workers and portrait that, you know, this upcoming coffee shop that you were talking about, that's going to be coming up in the West end, you know, um, just all those ways of, again, connecting locally. I think those are all a big part of it too. Sure. Sure. And so you've been successful, uh, despite the recent pandemic, uh, and these uncertain economic times that we all find ourselves in, uh, tell our listeners how you've really navigated all that, especially being in the retail business. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that, um, well, one of the biggest things, again, from Kyle and I's background at other restaurants, especially our, our time with Atkins Park, that restaurant never closed, never closes. You know, they're even open like Thanksgiving, Christmas, like they never close. Snow days, nope, we're still open. So we, we come from that background where you try and stay open no matter what. You We really, we're always, if we have to reinvent ourselves, do it, you know, like, we have to change how the checkout procedure happens, do it. So that's what we did. You know, like we, um, we took a risk, like, you know, are people still going to be coming out for coffee? I don't know, but let's like, we have to try for a little bit and more and more they showed, yeah, they still want to come out and get their coffee. They, they're actually going to come buy more whole bean coffee because they're going to brew it at home, but they still want to get out. And they, and so we just were constantly trying to reinvent or just, you know, make adjustments and. Um, just work and think and figure it out, you know? And, and I think that's, that's, I mean, honestly, what we did, it's like every day was so different in the beginning. You never knew what to expect. We're just watching the news. Are we going to get shut down? You know, we'll wait and just be as safe as possible to protect our staff. But we essentially were able, fortunately with the way our lot is situated, we were able to move our whole checkout and um, area outside of the restaurant. Oh, nice. uh, Out of the building. So people will just, you know, we, and we also spent, you know, hours upon hours at night trying to 
change our online store to where you could just go on and pre-order. So it was, how can we make this, um, you know, more accessible and keep it easy and still provide whatever, you know, what we can to, to our neighborhood and, you know, and community around us. So. That is great. And so if someone wants to check out Chrome Yellow, what are the some of the best ways for them to do that? You know, location, website, Instagram, what's the best yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, Instagram, I would say is number one, just because Kyle is always on there posting pictures and stories and sharing stories of customers who have visited. Um, so you get a very good up-to-date view of what we're doing and what customers are thinking and, and enjoying from our space. And then, uh, and then our website, um, www.chromeyellowtradingco.com. And our Instagram is um, instagram.com backslash chromeyellowtradingco. Those are our two best sources, two best places. We're not very active on Facebook. We haven't posted on Twitter in years. Um, so uh, yeah, those two spots and um, we're not, open for in in-store visits yet but we're we're serving coffee you know every day every day so you can check us out there too well it's been great having you on the show kelly thank you so much you know thank you for but, having uh, me. yeah and uh just the uh uh the atmosphere the coffee uh your staff uh how you and and kyle successfully have managed the business during a, a difficult time y'all are Y'all are to be commended. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. And uh, Tim Ramsey, I'm going to uh, uh, tell a little story about Tim and I. So Tim and I go uh, go way back. Uh, we've known each other probably for 15 years. Uh, Tim, you and I are uh, ACCers. Uh, Tim did his undergraduate at, at Duke. Go Blue Devils. Uh, I went to work for us. And uh, Tim, I think uh, Duke, uh, especially in basketball, has had more than their share of the victories. So uh, uh, Coach K has just done a fabulous job with that program. Uh, But Tim and I have uh, known each other through a group called the Atlanta Executive Forum. And uh, Tim, so glad to to have you on uh, Profit Sense today. Well, thank you, Bill. I'm glad to be here. And I'll share a story about Bill. I was actually with him. He's a great golfer, but I was with him when he scored his, I believe, only hole-in-one. Only is correct. We had a good time. (laughs) Very nice day. So um, the baby boomer generation is uh, looking at exiting their businesses. Uh, Succession planning, management transition, you know, you have certainly been an outstanding outsourced general counsel. Uh, for uh, quite a few of my clients, but I think more importantly, uh, succession planning, certainly in the baby boomer generation, is is very much top of mind. So I wanted to, to kind of begin the conversation, Tim, with succession planning. Uh, what is it? Uh, why do you need a plan? And uh, maybe then even a little more, what, what happens if you don't plan? Right. Uh, succession planning is basically putting some thought process into what's going to happen if you ever transition the business. Now that can be a planned transition or often it can be an unplanned transition. The the goals that we're looking at are to try to uh, maximize your recovery out of the business and minimize liabilities out of the business. So the situation that we run into often is, uh, where somebody calls up and uh, they suddenly had a uh, bad doctor's appointment or they had another life-changing event and they say, I need to sell the business immediately. Well, that, that takes, it, it makes it a little difficult to work with to accomplish those goals of maximizing recovery return and minimizing liability. So it's, it's much better to have had that type of conversation in advance done some planning, even taken some steps to start moving that direction so that if something does happen, you can take care of it immediately or you've got a planning process. Or for a lot of folks, it's more of a staged process. You may want to actually stretch it out over a number of years. You may have younger employees, other family members, folks like that. So that's really what succession planning, transition planning is all about. And so you kind of talked about uh, some of the stages. So what are what are the main categories or types of succession or transition events that occur? Uh, 
Well, we we see a couple of different ones. Uh, you you basically can uh, sell out your business where you just sell it to someone. You can merge your business or transition it where you where you merge with another competitor. Uh, you can do a succession internally where you bring folks up from inside uh, and let them uh, take over the business with you. Or the worst one, which unfortunately it happens, you shut down the business. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I've had clients that for various reasons, their business model just did not work. So it was just too much debt, too much liability. Uh, they just, they, it was impossible. They actually went through some steps of trying to sell the business and there just wasn't enough uh, available interest or uh, potential buyers to take that over. And so we ended up doing an orderly shutdown. It doesn't mean automatically bankruptcy, but it does mean shutting down in an orderly fashion and then trying to take care of your liabilities. Sure. Now, for our listening audience where this might be a a new topic, uh, if you decide to have either a succession or transition events, what are some of the key goals or some of the key motivating factors that a business owner uh, experiences? Because I know you've done a lot of work in this field. Right. Uh, again, the, the two primary goals, number one, is to maximize value or maximize return. And that's a combination of factors. You've got immediate cash so that if you're, if you're doing a closing uh, and you are successful in selling your business, ideally that's going to generate you know, some cash payment. So we, we look at it and analyze what that's going to look like after taxes. So you come up with a net amount. Sure. In many business transactions, there'll be some deferred compensation. That can be the promissory note, earn out, uh, some sort of extended payment stream. And you have to look at those. Sometimes we refer to that as wish paper. You can count on the money that actually gets into the bank at closing. Mm-hmm. They or may not be able to count on the money that's promised later on, but we really look carefully at that, analyze the risks, try to try to work out a good plan on how to uh, make that money most likely to be recoverable, and then how to move that forward. We also, as part of that, uh, look at ongoing compensation needs and try to help folks plan for what do they need to maintain lifestyle? What do they need to main, to educate the kids? What do they need need to Uh, educate the grandkids uh, because unfortunately we find some folks think they're ready to sell the business. And when they actually start looking at the numbers and start thinking about, well, what am I going to do with the money I get? I'm going to put it in CDs or something, drawing 1.01%. Yeah. That really doesn't last very long. So uh, so sometimes that the other, the other primary goal is liability reduction. Um, and folks sure. have to look very carefully at the liabilities they have with their current business. Now, that can include contractual liabilities, which would include things like lease guarantees or bank debt guarantees. Also will include uh, non-contractual liabilities, which may be things like product liabilities. If you are in a manufacturing business, uh, installation product services, if your company was involved in uh, installing services or doing construction work, things like that. We have to analyze what those liabilities look like, try to figure out a way to either have the buyer assume those or compartmentalize them and try to reduce them on, a, on an ongoing basis. Because the money you get at closing, probably all you're going to get. We really try to hope that you don't have to give any of it back. Yeah. So uh, talking a little bit about the what and, and following on from maximizing value, I want to talk a little bit about the how. So if you have a business owner uh, that wants to maximize value in a transition event, how does that, how does that happen? How do you help them make that occur? Sure. Step one in maximizing, because it's absolutely amazing. We get the phone calls where uh, I was playing golf with a guy today and he offered to buy my business and, they haven't done any planning whatsoever. They haven't thought about what it's going to be worth. They haven't thought about how to do it. Uh, those are hard to work with. Um, or I get a phone call from a broker that's actually, well, we got somebody that's agreed to sell their business. They haven't done any planning for it, but they've already signed a contract for it. Those are hard to work with. It really takes, a th- we'd like to see a three-year process, 
12 months is realistic, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a minimum. But what we do is work with the accountants, work with your team of advisors. Um, accountant is right in the middle of that. Bank advisor is another one. Uh, your operations folks and start laying out a plan for how to do a sale or if it's going to be an internal transition, how to do an internal transition. But that means getting your financial books and records in order, getting your business plan in order, identifying prime major risks, whether it's in your uh, internally where you have partnership arrangements and they may not be documented very well. We see these a lot where you have a disagreement among partners. Some are ready to sell out. Others are not. Uh, you get employees. Some employees uh, may be interested in becoming an owner. I've gone through situations before where they assumed that the employees were going to be more than happy to buy the business. And when they actually have the conversation, the employees had no interest at all in taking the actions, doing the steps necessary to actually buy the business. You know, that can be a pretty daunting task for some folks to start taking on bank debt, taking on lease guarantees, trying to be responsible for employees and payroll and insurance. And not everybody's cut out to be an owner. So that planning and gathering that data with key advisors is an absolutely critical first step. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So I know you also uh, talk to your clients about doing a SWOT analysis. So what is that? Why should they do it? And then uh, maybe why should, if they're thinking about selling, maybe even do it now? Absolutely. SWOT analysis is a um, generic term for doing an internal analysis of the four key areas, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you just sit down with some key advisors and talk about your company. What are the strengths of the company? What are some weaknesses? What are some opportunities? Okay, and Kelly had some, or uh, Martha had some great points a moment ago, or excuse me, Kelly did, and I know Martha's talked about, but um, some great opportunities, but you also have to look at threats. What are potential threats? Now, COVID, for, for about 90% of the world, nobody thought COVID would, you know, nobody imagined that COVID would be coming. I will say insurance right. companies Obviously knew something I didn't because a lot of these insurance policies that you see, business interruption policies, actually have a pandemic exemption in them. But uh, most folks don't really analyze their threats very well. So it's critical to go through that SWOT analysis. The, the follow-up on that is you talk to people about it. And a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, we did that at a partner retreat several years ago. And it's like, well, that's probably a good step. You need to do that regularly. You need, right. If you haven't done it in the past year, it's it's stale. Given COVID, if you haven't done it in the past 90 days, it's stale. And you need to sit down with your advisors, do SWOT analysis. It's not a really painful, complicated matter. We just really sit down, generally get a whiteboard, start getting, net, getting thoughts, comments, com, uh, just get the conversation going about what these strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for your company really are. Those are some great points. So um, for a business owner that maybe is ready to begin the process, uh, how do you, how do you get it started, Tim? Um, again, we, we, we gather data. First step is gathering data. Uh, what we do is what we call a 360 review. And we ask the client to provide us with a good bit of information. Right. Um, like see the most current financial statements, uh, ideally for the last cap, last couple of years. We like to look at tax returns for the last couple of years so we can get a handle on what's the tax structure of the company, what are the K-1s, if it's a partnership arrangement, uh, you know, whether it's a C-Corp or not, what kind of distributions, compensation have been going out to individual owners, what the real net after-tax income is look like and, and how that may translate into valuation. We look at internal partner agreements, which would be either a shareholder agreement, if you have a corporation, operating agreement, if you have an LLC, uh, maybe a partnership agreement, if you happen to have a partnership. We look at that and we try to identify who the key decision makers are and what kind of process we need to go through. And we, we, we like to see that we've got some unanimity among the various partners as to what the actual action plan would be. We also look at external relationships 
So we try to get an idea of what your upstream vendor, uh, vendors, suppliers, contractors, lease folks, uh, bank debt, uh, get a handle on what those look like, what kind of liabilities there may be, what kind of guarantees there are outstanding. And then we look also at relationships with customers uh, to see if you've given guarantees, if you're a manufacturing company, if you have warranties, if you've got compliance issues with different types of manufacturing. And then a really key component is we look internally at your employee relationships because a lot of folks do not have any kind of employment agreements. They don't have policies and procedures. Uh, those are the kind of things that you really want to, to take care of so that you can have a continuity of business in a sale. And it's really critical to have good employment agreements with your key employees, good compensation uh, arrangements, understandings, and get an awareness of what kind of potential liabilities there may be there. Yeah, Tim, those are great points. And uh, certainly succession planning and transition planning is key. Uh, If someone wants to get in touch with you and the firm, uh, what are the best ways for them to, to do that? Uh, email me is probably the easiest way to do it. T Ramsey at B-R-A-W-W-L-A-W.com. Uh, again, that's T Ramsey, no periods or spaces at B-R-A-W-W-L-A-W.com. Or they can call um, uh, the office at 404-351-1615. We also uh, have website uh, and Facebook. We're on uh, LinkedIn as well. So any of those types of ways uh, are great to get in touch with me. Great. Well, Tim, it's been great having you on Profit Sense. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for your contribution. And let me just add one thing. I'm always willing to talk with folks. No charge for the initial consultation. Absolutely happy to talk with you. If uh, it's something I can help you with, be glad to do it. If it's something I can't, we'll be glad to forward you on. I will tell you that uh, during COVID, We've given out more free legal advice than uh, I have ever in my lifetime. But as a service provider and as a uh, professional uh, legal advisor, uh, we feel it's a duty and responsibility to our society. And we have really been over backwards to try to help folks through this difficult time. We're more than willing to help do that. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I know from the clients that you and I have worked uh, with together on, they've really benefited from uh, from your expertise. So thank you again, Martha Shuan, Shuan Kitchens and Baths. Welcome, so glad to have you this morning. Uh, you and I met uh, during COVID. Uh, yes. The PPP loan program was uh, was a, a a tedious process, a frustrating process, but out of amidst of those circumstances new relationships were formed, weren't they? Yes, they were. And we're very appreciative of that. Well, As a matter uh, of fact, Bill, I just have to insert here. Tim said that you he saw your only hole-in-one, but I know with our payroll protection program experience with you, I witnessed another hole-in-one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for those kind words. Uh, you did a lot to uh, make my job easier as uh well-organized and uh, uh, all of the paperwork that was needed to make that happen, uh, I knew was was because of you. But uh, I want to hear, and I know our listening audience wants to hear more about uh, Shuan Kitchens and Baths. Uh, really where I'd like to start is while the name's pretty self-explanatory, uh, the remodeling industry does have a lot of players. Uh, could you give us an overview of Shuan Kitchens and Baths. Well, certainly, and thank you, Bill. We're pleased to be here today. And um, as you said, Shuan Kitchens and Baths does remodel kitchens and baths, but um, we specifically provide cabinetry, countertops, and we also perform construction, minimal construction when it's related to the kitchen and to the bathroom. Uh Um, But it's kind of interesting. Shoe on Kitchens is a licensed contractor. We could do more, but we don't because we also work with remodelers. Sure. So um, my husband, Hans, he founded the company in 93. So he's been in business in the greater Atlanta area for over almost 30 years. Excuse me. 
I know it's been a long time. So there's been a lot of evolutions. Um, he founded the company in Roswell. He's in his third location, a much nicer uh, studio that he has in Roswell. And um, he evolved over the years from a one-man startup um, to a very well-established business. Not only does he have multiple kitchen and bath designers who are working with clients, um, but he also has a manufacturing site located in Woodstock. And in Woodstock, we manufacture the shoe-on custom cabinetry line. So we are also a provider of cabinetry in addition to the remodeling of the kitchens and baths. Um, and this particular line of cabinetry, I just want to point out something. We have been regularly benchmarking this cabinetry against other lines. And uh -huh. we recently completed a benchmark against, um, um, we tried to get similarly priced lines across the United States and Canada. And there was not another company that provided the, the first of all, the value and the quality, the, the myriad of colors, uh, door styles, and other you know, things that you add into the kitchen uh, related to the cabinetry, the customization level was so much greater and the price point lower. So we just uh, went through this recent benchmark and we're kind of amazed that we couldn't find somebody to replace ourselves with. Uh -huh. Not that that was the goal, but you do that in a benchmark. So. Um, well, I'd in your like 30 to... years in business, you uh, certainly have proven your value proposition. So that, that speaks for itself as well. Absolutely. And prior to opening his shop, he continues to work with a couple of lines of national manufacturers as well. So he's a dealer in that regard. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the thing I would just say kind of about the overview is, you know, we're in this business to do the remodeling of kitchens and baths, but really we're in the business to satisfy clients. The company has thousands of satisfied kitchens and baths. And if you've ever been through a remodel of a kitchen, that's a significant experience. So yep. we have thousands of those and we just can't stop until the client is satisfied. And there may be somebody out there. I'm not inviting you to call in, but... <laughs> Out of all those clients, I think our track record is, is very, very high. So just real quickly, when someone is coming forward for a remodel, we meet with them. We talk to them about the scope of their project, their bu budget, and try to understand all of that. Uh, the next step is to go to the home and brainstorm solutions with them. Sure. And then um, proceeding with that client, we'll do a design for them. And then once they give the A-OK, um, the ordering and installation process occurs. And then you're a shoe-on client for life. Um, I have something I wanted to point out to you, but I'll wait on that. But you are a shoe-on client for life. And um, many of our clients do multiple kitchens with us. We've got quite a few that have done a second kitchen. We have even others who've done a third kitchen. We have um, actually one client who has done six kitchens with us. Oh, my Between, goodness. Wow. I know, having a move, and having um, a second home and moving again and that type of thing, they were able to become our, our um, poster child for Chew On Kitchens. <laughs> yeah, what a great story. So it seems like everybody was remodeling before COVID-19. Uh, how has the pandemic affected your business? Well, it has definitely impacted our business. And um, I guess I'd just first point out that what we value, we value people. So we value our clients. So we value our employees, our subcontractors. Um, and just a side note, we also value the ministries that we support. We support quite a few ministries with the profits from our company. Um, Sunflower Ministries, which ministers to women fighting addictions. Mm. Hands of Love, which is a Uganda-based ministry. And then nbs to go which has um, Bible studies and also even teaches um, people to be um, literate, and they're all over the world as well. Um, wow. But our employees, we wanted to retain, and our clients, we wanted to let them do whatever they felt comfortable doing during COVID. So some of them said, I'm stopping. So we lost a lot of our backlog, and of course, a significant amount shifted out into the future as well. So 
yeah. you know, we went from being very busy to not very busy. Um, so those clients that wanted to proceed, we worked to expeditiously finish those kitchens that were in process and allow those people to get back into their kitchen. Can you imagine sheltering in place without a kitchen? Right. Although I've heard some people have done that. Um, then with our employees, we wanted to retain them. So in 2008, during that last recession, Hans had the same attitude and he retained employees. He cut his own salary and he created work and continued to pay people while we were going through that slow ramp up from the prior uh, recession in 2008 and 2009. So in 2008, what he did was he went out and um, did warranty work with clients. We just called them up and said, you're a shoe on kitchen. You installed your kitchen 15 years ago. We'd like to come out and if there's anything you need adjusting or done, we'll be happy to do that. So we did that. And in this current pandemic, um, we after we made the decision to retain employees, um, we found out about payroll protection. And as you know, we were the poster child for that, but our bank was not opening up for applications. And so once we got connected with you and you connected us with a myriad of lending solutions um, and did your magic, um, which by the way, I we still are so eternally grateful. Basically, Receiving that benefit allowed us to continue to do what we purposed to do um, to begin with. So once again, we felt that we were a poster child for the program. Now yeah. we have really been able to leverage that. So um, the bottom line is once Georgia started opening up work again and we could, you know, initiate new business, we have become very, very busy, busy and um, the program has worked. I mean, exactly as I know the spirit of the program was intended when it was uh, conceived on Capitol Hill. So um, that's how we've survived. We've survived by placing high value on people, clients, employees, subcontractors. And thankfully, we had the benefit of a program that we never anticipated. And um, we're back on track. Yeah, that is great news. And it's great to hear that your business is coming back strong. Uh, would you share with our audience the logic which you would help someone decide where to start and where Shuan Kitchens and Baths fits in all of this? Um, well, that's a great question because a lot of people use, you know, you hear about interior designers, remodelers, um, you hear architects, um, kitchen and bath firms, cabinet shops. I mean, you just you hear about all these people who are doing kitchen remodels. And um, that's something I kind of struggled with, and I have to see the logic there. But the logic that I would share with you is um, that when a shoe on team member works with prospects, they determine the scope. So the scope is key. So if you really aren't in our scope and you came to us first, you've got a couple of options. We can continue to help you. If it's something that we don't do, we'll connect you with someone who does do it. For example, we don't sure. do repainting of cabinetry. Right. Um, but we know the best of the best in the Atlanta area who will repaint your cabinets. Um, a lot of people just want to do countertops. So we can connect you with someone to do that. Sometimes people will want to do um, an outside addition or an entryway or something that's significant to the home. Um, and if that's just all you're doing, then you would want to use an architect or um, a home planner. That's someone who's an architect that's not licensed. Um, so then sometimes uh, you have architect with a major change of your home and you have a kitchen that's also going to be touched by that. That's kind of a in-between situation. You can use us for that. We'll bring in the architect. You could use the architect and they can bring us in, but we can tag team and do that together. So if you're wanting to do um, a kitchen and you're wanting it to really tie in with the rest of your home, like the fabrics, the colors, the um, lighting, um, you know, furniture, all those things to tie in and, and go for the wow factor, um, then you might be wanting an interior designer. We have designers that we team with that we can bring in to help you with that. So you could come to us for that. Many times we'll have an interior designer that comes in with a shell design 
and we do the fleshed out detail design for them and partner with them. And then um, remodelers. So if you've got projects that aren't related to kitchen and bath, go with the remodeler. But if they are, then you could call us to do. And if those projects include, like I said, with the architect, additional changes um, that are significant, that are outside of the scope of the kitchen or the bathroom, um, a remodeler really needs to be involved. We're just focused on kitchens and bathrooms. But because we team and we have associates who do all of these roles, we really can do anything. Yeah. So I would just invite anyone who wants to sort it out to give us a call and we'll help them figure it out. That is great. So next question is kind of a two-parter. Uh, first, uh, curious to know what the value proposition is for remodeling a kitchen or bath. And then the second part is I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what are what are some of the craziest kitchen design challenges that you've seen? <laughs> Well, we have seen quite a few crazy things, but um, generally, just to get to the specific first, when you're going through a kitchen remodel, the value proposition um, that exists is partly based on the fact that you are improving the value of your home. And um, Hans and the team usually uh, recommend that 12 to 15% of the current value of your home um, could be the budget that you would want to use for the kitchen and master bath remodel. That includes the cabinetry, countertops, tile, um, all the accoutrements, the appliances, the plumbing, the mechanical. And um, so that's just kitchen and bath. We have a current client on East Cobb that's moving laundry room upstairs, widening a door, remodeling the kitchen. So they would be spending over that amount because of the fact that they're adding some additional small things to their package. Um, and I just want to real quickly tell you about the crazy stories. One of them was mine. When okay. we remodeled our kitchen, I, I didn't have a kitchen. And I was actually someone who said, why would somebody spend perfectly good money remodeling a kitchen when you can just invest <laughs> that in the stock market and make money? Right. And when I retired, I started cooking a lot more. And I realized I am like the evangelist now for kitchen remodels because um, we changed everything in our kitchen. We made it 50% larger, moving a laundry upstairs um, and made a little entrance from my kitty cat to go out into the garage, into a, um, a cage area that had the litter box, a place for my purse, you know, just all these little detailed things that we got to do and all of that. So um, I'm really an advocate for remodeling kitchens and baths. But you ask about crazy stories. Um, there's a couple that come to mind. There was one woman who, in her kitchen, she wanted to um, have this huge faucet. Well, she, you know, the design had been created. You know, it's a logical design, but she had this really huge faucet, and it was not going to fit behind the sink between the wall. I and mean, that's the uh -oh. only place it can go. Okay. <laughs> so what they did is they ended up cutting out the wall about three inches and they took that wall all, cut out all the way up to the ceiling and then they tiled it and they put decorative shelves in and then it had a place for the faucet. She could actually turn on the water now. Right. And it ended up being this incredible focal point for her kitchen it was just problem. And it looked like it was insurmountable. It sounds like an easy solution, but it doesn't look that way when you're trying to figure out how to solve a problem as you would um, imagine. And um, then there was a, a client at Lake Rayburn. This was a small cabin, second home. Yeah. And what they wanted to do was put everything into a 10 by eight space. And there was a remodeler that was going to do the mechanicals. And Hans worked with these people and he got everything in that kitchen. And the remodeler said, this isn't going to work, but they proceeded with the design. And I'm telling you, the client was highly satisfied. It's a small space, 10 feet by eight feet. That's all they had, but uh -huh. that kitchen works. Um, then there was another um, kitchen. I love this story. This is one that was in Milton. Um, this particular client had an L-shaped kitchen, and at the corner of the L, that's how you enter the pantry. And the, the woman 
she wanted all cabinetry. She had envisioned this beautiful L shape that's all cabinetry. So they tried to move the entrance to the pantry. It was a huge walk-in pantry, and there was no other way because of mechanicals in the walls and all kinds of things. That was the entrance period that you couldn't move the door. It was not, it, you know, it could be moved, but there was no place to put the door. And it was a huge walk-in pantry. So what they did is they made all cabinetry on that L-shaped wall. And where that pantry door was, you opened these real tall floor-to-ceiling cabinet doors for the walk-in pantry. You open it up, and inside was this empty cabinet. It was beautifully finished. It was real pretty with lighting. And you walk through that into the pantry. (laughs) (laughs) True definition of a walk-in pantry. But the woman got her all cabinetry look and still had yeah. that large pantry. So yeah, well, those um, are, uh, those are great stories. Thank you so much for sharing them. Uh, I want to, uh, if someone wants to contact you, if they're interested in exploring their options for kitchens or baths, uh, how do they do that? Well, anyone is absolutely welcome to call me and I'll give my information, but if you really want to get right to the heart of the matter, since I am not a designer, I'm the wife of a designer. Um, if you reach out to my husband, Hans Schuon, Hans Schuon at skbi.com, and it's H-A-N-S-S-C-H-U-O-N at skbi.com, and his cell is 678-230-3572. Um, this business is, after 30 years, it's a passion as well as a business, and he's willing to help anyone uh, figure out how to start, what to do, how to solve a problem. Uh, just bring it on. We're, we're here to help and we love what we do. So Well, and your passion comes through during the interview and uh, 30 years in, in business is a, is a testimony to the, to the value that uh, the firm brings to the marketplace. So I want to thank Martha, Kelly, and Tim all for being on ProfitSense today. So if you want to keep up with the latest, in pro-business news. Follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future ProfitSense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.